Good morning, everyone. You are listening to Crooked News. Ni- not Crooked News. Talk Crooked. <laughs> oh, gosh. Where we bring you... Cri- oh, no. Oh, my God. Let's start over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, golly. Okay. So, remember, everyone remember when I couldn't memorize the Crooked News <laughs> intro? Well, now it's perfect. <laughs> and now we've lost the <laughs> intro for the episodes. Yep. Apparently, there's only room for one. <laughs> so, <laughs> you're listening to Talk Cr- Talk Crooked, the social justice and comedy podcast where two friends laugh, cry, and rage about an unspeakable subject. While enjoying adult beverages, my name is Kay. I'm Carrie. And I do not have alcohol because it is 10 a.m. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is too early. Yeah. We had some unexpected plans that... That happened, and we had to rearrange and be flexible, so yeah, we are we are recording in the morning. And so I had some coffee and some orange juice to wake <coughs> me up, and now I'm sipping on uh, Diet Dr. Pepper, so. I had a tiny sip of cough syrup this morning <laughs> to try and, because I haven't coughed all morning oh. until we started doing this. So naturally, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> it's always the way it goes. But I'm really excited about this topic. So yeah, me too. I think we should just go ahead and dive right in. Yeah, let's go. All right. So this week, you guys, we are revisiting a topic that we loved so much. Um, that we just mainly to just to again. do more stories. Yeah, yeah. And just, just mainly to do more stories. We're both going to give you a story this time. Mm-hmm. Um, the part one of this was what, do you know what episode it was? <laughs> um, no, no, I can look Let's find quick. out. Let's find out. Um, let's see who can look faster. I don't know because I don't know. Nope. I don't know. <laughs> Because the titles are not what they... <laughs> yeah, that was kind of a mistake. Um, Oops. Hold on. Oops. Hold on. It was a Patreon pick, wasn't it? Yes. I, I bet you it was episode 50. Uh, nope, it was not. It wasn't? Nope. Maybe it was 51. <laughs> it was 51. It was 51. Mm-hmm. Okay, so th- this is this is a follow-up to episode 51, Don't Sign When You're Scared, mm-hmm. um, where we talked about... Okay, are you ready? So this week, yeah. we're talking about... Cults. <laughs> Again, I'm so excited. Yeah, the last one so I talked about, a vampire just... cult. Uh, but that one yes. was wonderful. And so if you want my segment on background info i am not going to recap that um so if you want if you want that background info go back and listen to episode 51 um we go all into the psychology and all of that really fun stuff um and talk about how how people get hooked in and how we really like the thing that's so fascinating about cults is that literally everyone is vulnerable to (laughs) to getting to getting sucked in so and the more that we know about them and the more we can spot the red flags the more the less susceptible we are so it's important to educate ourselves as as much as possible 
Um, and just the stories, they get so crazy. And so it's especially the ones from the 80s. So that's what I did. I picked a really fun one. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> it's not really fun. Lots of people died. <laughs> but... <laughs> Um, it's also fascinating because this, and we also have a female cult leader. Nice. From me. So this is the story. I heard this first on My Favorite Murder. Okay. Uh, Queen, Queen Karen Kilgariff herself did this one and it is, she did an unbelievable job. Um, <laughs> she always does. But mine, yes, uh, mine is a bit long and then Kay has some lovely shallow dives as well, so Hopefully this won't be a three-hour episode. We're going to try and keep it tight. That's why we're diving right in. Yeah. So um, this is the story of conscious development. Okay. Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So I got this from... um, So there is an article written by the Dark Histories podcast Mm -hmm. that I found that that really pulled things together well. Um, I did not listen to the episode. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, so I am not stealing their recording, but I want to make sure I give them credit because they definitely pulled all this research together in a beautiful way mm-hmm. that does not sound like a textbook <laughs> like <laughs> Wikipedia does. Yeah. So um, I wanted to make, so I just, it was just the best one that I could find. So um, yeah. All right. And there's a lot to it. So I'm going to do my best to keep it concise, but we're, there's just a lot of detail. My my segment's going to be a bit long. So um all right, you ready? Yes. So we're going to talk about I'm really Terry. wishing so Terry, that I had wine for this. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so good. It's going to be so fun. So, okay. um, all right, so Terry, we're going to talk about Terry Hoffman. Okay. Okay. Terry Hoffman was born March 21st, 1938 in Fort Stockton, Texas. Oh. Not Texas, Texas. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. The place I told them okay. they could... They could secede <laughs> in the last episode. Yes. <laughs> in case we're Y'all confused. can leave. No, just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, <clears throat> all right. So, um, <clears throat> gosh, so sick. I'm so sorry, you guys. There's absolutely nothing I can do about my throat. I've tried. I am pregnant. I can't take anything. So, <clears throat> okay. So, set to a bleak backdrop of an alcoholic father of an alcoholic father in poverty, of course. Yep. Terry began to see things. People which no one else could see, sitting under a tree one warm summer's day, aged just four years old. She was visited by three men wearing quote unquote splendid robes who told her to think about God and that she was special. Is anyone feeling a red flag yet? That's called schizophrenia. F- Early onset schizophrenia, <laughs> I think. Or she made this completely up. Yes. Is the other option, which is what I kind of am inclined to believe. Um, <clears throat> so inconvenient as such vis- visions were, there existed a brief hiatus in Terry's visions as she thought about God. Her bur- her <laughs> she thought about God. And her mother gave birth to her stillborn sister and then shortly passed away from tuberculosis. So that blows. <clears throat> it wasn't until she was nine years old when her father, unable or unwilling to wa- raise her alone, sent her to a Lutheran orphanage in Round Rock, 
that the visions came back to her more fluently. See, this sounds like a mental health thing. Yep. Because it seems to be triggered by some trauma. Yep. Um, which sounds... It might be schizophrenia. It could just... We're not doctors, obviously. It could literally just be her brain escaping. Yeah. Um, with an active imagination. Because she, her imagination is active, but she is not creative. Eh. And... Um, <laughs> You will see. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, so she was bullied at the orphanage and she felt very outcast. Um, and she was consoled by these visions of great masters who would tell her that she could be anything she wanted and that she was special. Um, sounds kind of like imaginary friends. Yep. Too. Um, which is perfectly normal. I mean, she's nine. That's not unreasonable. Um, so during her time in the orphanage, she learned from one of the nuns about karma, reincarnation, and the Akashic records. I'm a very surprised a nun told her that. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, in co- a compendium encoded in a spiritual plane that told of all human events, thoughts, words, emotions, and intent ever to have occurred in the past, present, and future. <laughs> the Akashic- it's a rock with words on it, you guys. It's... The Akashic <laughs> records are really hard to access. Uh, they're so yes. fascinating, but... Yes, and she's nine. Yep. <laughs> it was also during her time at the orphan... Well, I don't... Actually, I don't know how old she is now. Oh, okay, never mind. She's still, like, nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it was also during her time at the orphanage that she became convinced at age 9 or 10, that she was the reincarnation of St. Teresa of Vila, a 16th century Roman Catholic saint and mystical theologian who wrote profusely on subjects concerning meditative prayer and had visions of Jesus and Mary, visited heaven, and dabbled in levitation now and then. Yes. So we're just off the rails. (laughs) Already. We're just... Immediately. (laughs) It started young, and it just did not yeah, get there's, better. And no one told her, like, no, honey. <laughs> I guess. I guess. Um. Uh, oh, goodness gracious. Um. Two years later, at 11, Terry was adopted by a Dallas couple who renamed her Terry Lee Benson. She began living. A, she began living a life of norm of normality. Sorry, there's, it's kind of flowery. <laughs> the way that it's written is kind of flowery. It's she okay. began living a normal life and entered school, but made a few. But made very few friends. And shortly, because she, as you do when you go around telling people that you're special. Yeah, <laughs> I'm special. I'm the reincarnation of this crazy saint lady. Mm-hmm. I can levitate, and everyone's like, cool. We're going to go sit over here. <laughs> you can't sit with us. Okay. Um, <clears throat> oh, goodness gracious. Okay. So uh, she made very few friends, and shortly after her 15th birthday, she met 18-year-old John Wilder, a truck driver with a penchant for schoolgirls. What? On May 2nd, 1953, the couple, I'm going to put that in quotes, Ran away together and got married in Durant, Oklahoma, both inflating their ages on the wedding certificate by three years. Oh, of course. Oh, so he was 18. Never mind. That's not quite as gross, but still. Um, 
but I don't like with a penchant for schoolgirls. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that part. <laughs> oh, God. You know when you're 15 and you meet somebody and you're just like, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> the only person I will I'm ever done. Love. Yeah, this is the only interesting person I'll ever meet. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. <laughs> I'm 15 and I'm done. Um. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, In 1958, she gave birth to a son named Kenneth. And in 1963, she gave birth to her second daughter, Virginia. Financially, the family struggled, as you do when you're children. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But it was a peaceful life. I don't feel like that's true. Um, But sure. No. We'll call it peaceful. Um, the, the family moved to Farmer's Branch, which is a small suburb of Dallas, um, and a setting in which Terry's spirituality could flourish in the long days, mixing with wh- mixing with housewives, bored and of the everyday, and looking for something more from life. What? This is how we do it. In the 60s, all right, in the mid to late 60s, she began holding classes herself that consisted mainly of high schoolers, which is weird, um, yeah. and she didn't charge for the classes and taught meditation and prayer. So it started out free. Yep. See, and this is, this is, That's oh, how this it is starts. why I love this. <laughs> yes, this is why I love this story so much, mm-hmm. because this is the classic classic story like example of the frog in the pot you know what i'm saying where you put the frog in the pot and then you slowly turn up the heat and it doesn't realize it's boiling yeah that this is exactly that analogy (laughs) (laughs) that metaphor or whatever it is i don't know let me get a sip of water hang on okay and then we get to the classic step pamphlets ah Yes, pamphlets. She handed out pamphlets. Yep, she handed out pamphlets of her teachings, heavily influenced by a wide range of Eastern thought and spiritualism, which is weird if you're the reincarnation of a Catholic saint. Yeah. <laughs> which is why I think there's some things made up yeah. here. But <laughs> um, the first lesson from the pamphlets opens with the paragraph from the start of this of the okay from the from the start of this article okay so here's what the very first thing was okay okay are you ready yeah first degree lesson one this is your very first lesson it is yours in a special way since the knowledge contained within it is sacred secret and mysterious This information has been treasured and carefully guarded since ancient times, for knowledge gives its possessor power. By being exposed to the teachings of the masters, you will not only become aware of the truths which others rarely possess, you will also learn how to use and control energies few have mastered. I hate it already. Look out, y'all. Oh, it's so good. Um, (laughs) So she also taught of karma, death, and rebirth. And on karma, she wrote, 
We can be sure that the people who have been killed in volcanic eruptions and dire catastrophes have deserved these violent deaths. What the actual fuck? Thanks, white lady (laughs) from Texas. (laughs) And that they have been reborn in these places to fulfill their destiny. They reaped as they sowed in past lives. I mean, I guess that's how you get people to not be afraid of death. Yeah. Foreshadowing. Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) And on death, she wrote that there was nothing to fear. Quote, you will also become conscious of the continuity of life. Death, then, will not exist in reality. For you will will realize that your existence is not dependent upon the mere maintenance of your physical body. The result of noble death is rebirth. I don't like it. (laughs) Yeah, I hate it. In a way, though, like, that's all very comforting, right? Yeah. I mean, not the part about people who die in natural disasters deserving it. That's terrible. Um, And that should have maybe raised a little bit of alarm. But if you're talking to a bunch of white ladies in the 60s in Texas... Yeah. I could see how that could just, you know, you could be like, oh, yeah. Yeah, they must have done. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> Peter Muth, 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 M U T H, Muth, um, f- a former member, state, okay, so he survived, um, <laughs> stated that, um, quote, another thing Terry taught us was that death was just a state, another state of consciousness, and it wasn't a bad thing. It wasn't anything to fear. A creed that would later drown in its ominous undertones. All right. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so this is where we get to now. Conscious development of mind, body, and soul. Oh, all right. (laughs) Here we go. Oh, here we go. So, Terry's classes begun to cause quite a stir, and Terry herself was becoming a local guru red flag, to her small tribe of hopeful devotees. She told them of how she could read the Akashic Records. No one can read the Akashic Records. Akashic, whatever. Sorry, I've heard it both ways. It's okay. She let them know if if their partner was their soulmate. Big red flag. Mm -hmm. And of how she could levitate in her bed (sighs) and heal people from miles away. Of course. She also... She hinted on her ability to cure cancer. No. And during meditation Stop sessions it. would turn off the no girl. And during meditation sessions would turn off the lights, shining a torch on students and theatrically <laughs> theatrically talk to the dead people of their past lives. Great. Love that. So it's for already them. a little bit crazy, but naturally <laughs> her students ate it all up. So many of them were drug users, dropouts, and the disenfranchised looking for acceptance. So she preyed on, she preyed on people. Uh, She signed, she signed one photograph for a female student writing a note which read, quote, to a sweet and dear friend, may the love, wisdom, and power of God be with you, lead you, and guide you all your life, bringing you to yourself and others true blessings. Always be an example. Keep God in your heart, bring him to your mind, and then live a good and then live good all day. I send you peace, joy, 
love, light, and harmony. Love always, Terry. That's very sweet, but it doesn't need to come from you. (laughs) No, and also that's too long to put to sign on a photograph. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) That is a letter. It's also just... Ugh, it's just too much. Okay, so Terry's claims, but it makes people... She's making people feel special. Yeah. That's the thing. So, as Terry's claims became more and more out there, her students became more and more devoted to her. So, this is where it gets crazy, because you would think that the more outlandish things get, the more people would be like, okay, lady, um, I think you're full of shit, (laughs) and... (laughs) And you would think that they would leave, but because they've, she made them feel so special. I mean, she must have had magic eyes. Like, yeah. <laughs> just so much charisma. Um, and she really knew how to make people feel special so that they were, and they were just, they were completely devoted to her. So they would visit her in her home for private sessions, obtaining counseling and hypnosis se- sessions. <laughs> from terry and told family members in excited tones of terry's great spiritual deeds oh lord so in the 19 late 1960s terry officially founded an organization and named it conscious development of body mind and soul if that doesn't sound like a cult Of all all of this spiritual elevation was taking its toll on Terry's home life, however, however, and her marriage to John Wilder began falling apart, as it does when you marry someone at the age of 15. Um, (laughs) On the 28th of December, and you don't have money, and you're not charging anyone. It doesn't sound like she has a job. Yeah. And she's not charging for any of this stuff yet. Yet. So, Yeah. Um, on the 28th of December, 1970, Terry filed for divorce, and Wilder and Terry's mother responded by getting Terry sectioned. So what she got hospitalized. Mean? Oh. Hospitalized. So Terry's hospitalization didn't, t- didn't last for long, however, and soon she was back at her day job talking with gurus, philosophers, and gods long since dead. Her divorce with Wilder was settled in March of the next year. Um, and Terry took custody of their daughter, Kathy. I guess they had a third daughter mm-hmm. or a third kid. Um, and her share of the divorce settlement included a 1968 Mustang, um, some stocks, a shotgun, rifle, and pistol, which is weird. Yeah. Why did she get guns? She's a spiritual guru. Whatever. <laughs> um, John took custody of the... So this is back when they used to just split kids up and say, fuck it apparently yeah um john took custody of the two youngest children she got their other daughter it's just not cool and he took the house and all the bank accounts he probably um, should have also is... had the other child <laughs> yeah i'm gonna go ahead and say <laughs> poor kathy needed to uh, stay with her daddy yeah. um because This shit's about to get real dark. So, um, a few months later, now 33, Terry remarried to Glenn Cooley. That didn't take long. No. (laughs) Wait till you hear this guy's age. A young 20-year-old student of her classes in New Mexico. So, she's 33, he's 20. What do they have to talk about? Now that John was out of the picture... 
Terry's spirituality could surely flourish. So she married one of the people from her, one of her students from her collective here. That's so a now power nobody's, dynamic. That. Now nobody's got their feet on the ground. Yeah. That's the thing. All right. Oh, Lord. So by the mid-1970s, conscious development of body, mind, and soul was hitting big strides in Dallas. Terry was teaching her mantra to hundreds of the local residents, and the organization's fame had begun to spread nationally, attracting thousands of interested followers. All proceeds were flowing directly into Terry's personal bank account. Of course they were. That's a big red flag. So, how many red flags have there been so far? (laughs) Just so many. I mean, (laughs) so many. Um, so all at, so at its core, Terry had a devout band of long-term students, which she now deemed ready to become teachers in their own right. She was to be the master of masters. <laughs> the group needed a higher purpose, though, something to bind them together. And, and in 1977, Terry found just the answer for them. <laughs> so during her teachings, Terry began to tell the people in her inner circle (laughs) and she started to talk about the spiritual plane's darkest secrets told to her by Plato and Babaji, a Hindu god, during her meditations. They were, according to Terry, a band of evil spirits named the Black Lords who disrupted the physical plane with their negative vibrations. Naturally, nobody except Terry could see them. <laughs> since they existed only in the sp- <laughs> since they existed only in the spiritual realm that Terry could walk freely around in. <laughs> so more imaginary friends. <clears throat> yeah. Um also need something to unite people with, I guess. But um, in with her help and guidance, the group could go to war and fight these wicked hellspawn and save humanity from itself. So now they have a weird secret together. So that binds people even more. Mm-hmm. As oh, it does. Lord. So they, call, they called it a holy war. <laughs> And it was to be kept secret. Nobody outside of the inner circle should know of their practices, or they might become dan- fall prey to the Black Lords and their negative vibes. <laughs> the band of brave men and women of the inner circle were named the White Brotherhood, which is weird and troublesome. Yeah. And Terry, Terry became the Antimagi. Look, she gave herself a title and a nickname. Of course. Anatomaji or Divine Revelator. <laughs> I saw a picture of her while I was doing my research of uh-huh. her in these weird robes. Like, like, like. I have to see like this royal bitch. robes. What's her last name again? I, Terry Hoffman. It's Terry with an I. Um. I found a picture of her in these, like, royal robes with this weird, like, aluminum foil crown thing on her head. Oh, my God. And it was brilliant. It was huge. 
Oh, I see it. Do you find it? Yeah. <laughs> the divine revelator herself. Um, so instructions on how to rid the spiritual plane of the existence of black lords were a simple affair. So, quote, you ready? Yeah. To kill them, one must take them to the pits of hell where their soul and lower bodies will be dissolved. As one does, I mean, just like on your daily walk to hell, just yeah. drag a black lord with you. <laughs> it must be cast back into the fiery chasm from which it came. Oh, man. One does not simply walk into Mordor. All right. <laughs> it, was, it was all so simple. <laughs> but there were also black overlords that had to be dissolved. Of course. And these were dealt with by taking them into quote-unquote electromagnetic caves <laughs> instead. I hate this so much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on, it's funny. It is. I just hate her it's so absurd. much. absurd. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. I am not making fun of these poor people who were taken advantage of. No. I am making fun of the fact that this bitch is not creative. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And this is so absurd. This is just so absurd. It is. And it's it's absurd that she was able to bring all of these people into this with her. And they were just so desperate for companionship. Yeah. That they were just, they just bit. So, um, soon the war began and weekly meetings were held in secret from all outsiders in a sports hall. Because that's where you hold meetings. In a rec center, yes. Yeah. A protective... That's the perfect place for a spiritual war. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So, a protective circle was first drawn out on the floor, and each member was to bring a cup and a bag of earth. Representing Gabriel, apparently. A fan as a shield, representing Ariel. I don't know if that's the Little Mermaid. (laughs) Um, and a rod and a staff representing Archangel Michael. Terry assured the members that full-sized swords needn't be carried around and that it was merely a gesture. Therefore, members could use cocktail sticks. (laughs) Bureaus and letter opener. I don't know what a bureau is. Byro, I don't know what that is, and letter openers in place of their holy weapon of choice. Oh my so God. they're sitting in a circle with cocktail sticks and letter openers <laughs> stabbing the air. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh uh, goodness, you ready for a description from a former member? Yes. Joyce, let's hear from Joyce. So Joyce says, quote, We were taught to use these weapons to kill the Black Lords. Members would make a series of gestures with their swords and then touch the rod to their shoulders, where they believed to be, which they believed to be a power center for the body. And then you'd project it outward with your thought along with it and know you were eliminating the Black Lords, that you were really in battle. Okay. So, at the end, (laughs) and some of these sessions apparently lasted several hours. Of course they did. 
and Terry would give a body count of how many black lords had been defeated. <laughs> the group would... And the group always had to do better. Yep, they always had to do better next time. So, oh my god. There were emergency battles that were held, and the members would would be called together to rush into battle. Each member was to wear a robe, big red flag, Mm -hmm. that when when properly made would lend them up to 15 times more power. This woman was reading Dungeons and Dragons manuals, it sounds like. (laughs) Yes. A little bit. But she didn't take any of the creativity from it. No. <laughs> None of it. Oh, goodness gracious. <clears throat> okay. So, uh, just a little bit more about what they were doing. So, the members of the White Brotherhood felt no pain from their battle wounds because that's how fake battles work. <laughs> um, yes. Terry, Terry, it's because Terry was naturally absorbing all of their pain. And she told them all about how she suffered for them in their place. <laughs> stop it, Terry. Just stop. <laughs> not, I will not. No, I said so stop it, worse. Terry. Not Carrie. Oh, Terry. <laughs> uh, yeah. No one came in and said, okay, stop this. <laughs> Black overlords holding such great power as they did and needing to be dissolved in electromagnetic caves were often attaching themselves to members of the organization who had fallen out of favor. Uh Oh, of course they. uh, Yeah. Or or family members of the White Brotherhood now were isolating. Look out. Yeah. Terry warned the group. Quote, stay alert. Curtail most of your social contact with these uh, with those outside the group. It's for their protection. The black forces may use them to get to you. Keep your sword near you, especially when you go to bed. Protect your animals, your car, place of work, and your home with protection rituals. So Terry, so that's how she started sowing paranoia and fear into her people. Yep. And that's how isolation works. <laughs> that's how isolation works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you remember from our previous episode, that is a big step. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So, um, <clears throat> hang on just a second. Okay, so let's talk about her and Gwen for just a second. Okay. We're doing well on time. Okay, so when Glenn first met Glenn Cooley, so this is her husband, her 20-year-old husband. Um, <laughs> when Glenn first met Terry, he was 20, at, and he was a 20-year-old student at North Texas State University with an occasional penchant for drug use, um, which he had fought with the aid of Conscious Development Meditation Group. So that's where his bond came in, you help me get sober mm-hmm. kind of thing. After their expedited marriage in New Mexico, the couple returned to Dallas and moved into a comfortable house. I don't know with what money, but sure. Um, I don't think... I'm wondering what happened to Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> Kathy got this. sent to another orphanage. Because it's <clears throat> Probably. A it wouldn't surprise me. You have a, you have a dark overlord attached to you. Mm-hmm. Be gone with your negative vibes. 
me at people I just don't want to talk to. (laughs) 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 Oh, Lord. Okay. Um, I just dumped water all over myself. All right, so... (laughs) Nice. You have a dark overlord attached to you. I know. It's just too much negativity. So, um, (laughs) the success of conscious development... With the success of conscious development, Terry had begun to expand her literature, and Glenn partnered with Terry running the jewelry side of the business. Ready for this? Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Well, let's, let's see it. C- so, CD Gems, so Conscious Development CD mm-hmm. Gems, which sold handmade jewelry that offered protection for its members. No, it didn't. <laughs> After six years, however, Glenn was growing tired of Terry's organization. Was hmm. he? Really? After six years? <laughs> It took six years for you to get sick of this woman's bullshit. <laughs> his his mom later commented that he that he had come to her and confessed that he wanted to get out of it all. So his wish soon became reality. Um, on t- November 24th, 1976, Terry filed for divorce. And five days later, Glenn filed a waiver to speed up the process. <laughs> Me. <laughs> oh, poor Glenn. And on January 27th, 1977, the divorce was granted. So, everything had been so, had been so smooth that the pair remained working together throughout the proceedings during the divorce. Glenn was awarded all proceeds that the pair would derive from CD Gems. Five days later, however... Glenn's weird. dead. Glenn was found dead in a cabin on Lake Grapevine owned sure by his parents. Yep. <clears throat> Are we feeling the crazy eyes from this lady yet? Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Um, he was fully dressed, lying propped up in the bed. There was a half-empty can of beer on the dresser and a foam substance around his mouth. That sounds like arsenic or cyanide. Mm-hmm. When they moved his body, police discovered two pills under his body and, at the autopsy, traces of Valium and Librium, a hypnotic and a sedative of the, uh, bin... Uh, don't know. Benzodiaphine family of drugs? Mm-hmm. Um, those were found in his blood, so the cause of death was attributed to suicide by drug overdose. But I hate that, because they didn't look at everything else that was going on. Yeah. It was not Of course, suicide. Terry was just like, oh, yeah, he killed himself. He was just so sad. Sure, let's work together, sweetie. It'll be fine. Everything will be fine. It'll be a very amicable divorce. We'll keep working together. And in her head, she's like, and then I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Don't worry, honey. Everything will be fine. His, bo- his body was discovered by Terry. Weird. And two members of con- two other members of Conscious Development, who claimed she had found a note in her safe on February second. So weird. She found happened to find a note from her ex husband. It said, "I, Glenn Cooley, give Terry Cooley all of my property, both personal and real. This includes two boats, a 1972 Buick Limited, all jewelry and equipment for its making." 
All furnishings for the house on Dunhaven Road and all cash. No, he didn't. Like, that was... No! No. No, he didn't. <laughs> who who wrote that note, I wonder? <laughs> was it in Terry's handwriting? I wonder. I think it might have been. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. And then it says, I asked that this... That this last will of mine not be contested by anyone in any way for any reason. <laughs> last but not least, I give all my love to my family and friends. Ugh. <laughs> oh, I can't even. He... Mm, it doesn't even and sound like a good suicide note. It's not, and the other thing is that he was an occasional drug user, which means people don't take your death seriously. And yep. the and cops especially, just they, they're, they've got so much on their plate, and it's just, oh, all right, well, drug overdose, bye. Yeah. Instead of looking at the whole picture and then being like, wait, they were getting divorced. Why would, why would, why would he want her to have all his shit? Yeah. This is weird. Mm-hmm. He was just getting free. Mm-hmm. Why would he kill himself? Yeah. After the divorce was final. (laughs) Glenn had also signed over full ownership of the house to Terry two weeks prior, which is weird. His final, probably just to get rid of her. Mm -hmm. Um, His final estate was valued at $2,565. A figure that deeply puzzled Glenn's parents, who estimated there to be around Eighty-five grand worth of jewelry-making equipment, metals, and gems in their house. Yeah. Glenn's mother had also found Terry's behavior during the funeral highly suspicious. Because she's crazy and a murderer. Mm -hmm. So, um, (laughs) quote, this is what Glenn's mom said, quote, Mm -hmm. She was crying and talking, and then she would stop and look up to see my reaction. Ew! (laughs) <laughs> oh, I do not like that. No, that's the creepiest thing of all time. Mm-hmm. That's the creepiest. That's worse than just sitting there stony-eyed or, like, laughing. Yeah. That's the worst. Um, Of course, Terry denied this. <laughs> for them to blame me for Glenn's death is just totally awful. I did nothing but love that man. I tried to help him as long as we were married. And I tried to help him after we were divorced. Because death is just another plane of consciousness. I added that part. Yeah. um, Fuck Terry. Just saying. Uh, yep. She sucks. Um, she also claimed that she had not felt things were right with Glenn for some time. Uh Uh-oh. Were his vibes off? Um, and had had tried to talk him out of going... Yes, and she had tried to talk him out of going to the cabin alone. However, there is also another side to the story. Years later, in 1989, a former group member of the group claimed that she and Terry had visited the cabin on the night of Glenn's death, and, though Glenn was lucid at the time, he had already taken the fatal cocktail that ended his life. The purpose of this trip remains unknown. Furthermore, when, when Terry learned of Glenn's parents' intentions to testify against her at the inquest, Terry called Glenn's sister to warn her that there was every possibility that Glenn's history of drug abuse might come up in the public. <sighs> when word spread around conscious development, 
spread around conscious development of Glenn's death, many members blamed the Black Lords. Of course. But Terry doesn't stay down for long. We know good old Terry. Mm -hmm. So shortly after that, Terry remarried with Ben Johnson, another member of the group, and one of the three who had previously discovered the body. It sounds like she's cheating every time. And just... Mm -hmm. You. I choose you. (laughs) Terry also began taking blood from members of conscious development. Oh, here we go. Now we're getting, now it's getting really twisted. Now. (laughs) Telling them that it had become poisoned by the Black Lords. So now we're bloodletting. Do cocaine about it. Which is always a fun place. Yeah, this is... This is always a fun place for a, qu- a quilt to go. So, um, mm, so this was a new way to expel negative energies. And though Terry expounded on its many benefits, it proved to be too much. A step too far for some. And by 1978, membership started to dissipate. So that was the breaking point. <laughs> At least there was one. Yes. Oh, my goodness. So this. let's hear from Joyce again. So Joyce left. And she said, quote, I was relying on someone else's judgment of me instead of my own judgment of what's right and wrong and Aww. using Terry as the ultimate authority of my life rather than me as the ultimate authority. So once you give up your own decision making process to someone else, however wonderful they may be, you've lost your integrity. Yeah. Beautifully put. Beautifully put. So, however, at the same time as members were slipping away from Terry's grip. War-weary from their prolonged battles with black lords and not overly keen on donating blood to the cause, one member, Sandra Cleaver, was doubling down on her commitment. Oh, no. All right, so Sandy. Oh, Sandy. Sandy's a lot. Um, (laughs) Sandy makes some really bad calls. Poor Sandy. Um, So I'm going to try and make Sandy's part as concise as I can. But Candy, Candy, Candy. Sandy, I just called, we just about called her Candy Sleever. Uh, Sandy Cleaver, uh, she was tall, attractive, and popular at school at the DePaul University. Um, She met Chuck Cleaver. Um, she she married her college sweetheart, it sounds like, and they had a daughter named Susan. Um, they were having a happy life, and then, of course, um, it seems like Sandy also had a bit of a troubled life. Um, her parents divorced when she was young. Her mom spent four years in and out of mental health institutions, which is Great. not fun. Um, mental health institutions in the 60s and 50s, not great. Um, and after school, her s- and um, <clears throat> after school, her sister had died in a car crash, oh. um, and her father had also died in an airplane accident in the sixty 60- in sixty six. So she she has a lot of trauma, oh. and um, that <laughs> I don't like where that this makes is going. for yeah. This is very very sad. So um. She she did live a comfortable life with a large trust fund, um, but 
of course, the traumas that she, because of her past traumas, she began seeking spiritual answers. Yeah. So um, that's what drew, drew her to conscious development. Um, so what's really fun. Hang on. Let me find this. So uh, Chuck was not down. Her husband was not down. <laughs> um, <laughs> she became obsessed. Uh, do She became obsessed um, to walk with to walk a path of meditation and homeopathic medicine. And at one point, Chuck found her packing to leave for a trip to a homeopathic practitioner who had promised to place. Um, oh, they called their they called their daughter by her middle name Devereaux. So, um, who had promised to place Devereaux into his special invention that would tune out the world's bad vibrations. Oh no! And Chuck was not down for that. Good. Um, this. <laughs> This path eventually led Sandy to conscious development and to Terry. So Sandy, oh God, poor Sandy. Sandy excitedly told Chuck of how Terry was the reincarnation of St. Teresa and how she could use crystals to cure cancer. Oh God. No, she, she also couldn't. took to call. No, she also took to calling herself. Oh no, she gave herself a. She gave herself a title, too. Oh. She also took to calling herself and openly telling people that she was a high priestess of Atlantis in a former life. Oh, no. <laughs> so Chuck found this un- unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> to say the least. And uh, when she told, when he told Sandy that he was not down, mm-hmm. she said, oh, Lord. She said this, I really have to help Devereaux overcome all the problems that are caused by our bad vibrations. So she's drawing her daughter into it. And that's like, it's one thing for you to go off the deep end and do your own thing. Mm -hmm. Fine. You do you. Whatever. Don't Don't pull your fucking kid into it. (laughs) What are you doing? So Sandy became more involved and this caused a real strain with Chuck who continued to vehemently oppose Sandy's new spiritual learnings, which made it even worse Mm -hmm. because of how Terry was manipulating everybody. So Sandy took counseling classes with Terry, who offered to protect Devereaux. I think that she was giving out vitamins and shit at this point, too. Um, Do not not take those. She's not a doctor. Um, It said... So, who offered to protect Devereaux with one of her protective shields that would, quote, protect her from anything except the negative vibrations from your husband, which are very powerful. Oh, no. Not great. So Sandy began to actually believe that her husband's negative thoughts concerning her spirituality and relationship with Terry was creating bacteria that would infect Devereaux during an argument. So this is super bad. Um... During an argument with Chuck one evening, she took out a knife from the kitchen and screamed that, at times, she thought Devereaux would be better off in heaven. Oh, no. So bad. So bad. So, um, when Terry divorced her first husband, Sandy also filed for divorce, um, citing that, and her reason in her divorce... Oh, no. oh, the reason she cited was that she and Terry had decided that Chuck was blocking her spiritual development. Oh, no. I don't think you can put that <laughs> on a legal document. 
<laughs> I think it's just irreconcilable differences, honey. Yeah. <laughs> the custody battle for Devereaux was long and drawn out because, of course, Chuck was like, um, this crazy bitch is not taking my daughter. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, eventually... However, with a fear that of what Sandy might do to Devereaux if she did lose custody, because there's that, mm-hmm. Chuck agreed to settle for visitation rights. However, he wrote a provision into the settlement that Sandy must only take Devereaux to recognized physicians permitted to practice in Texas. So that was smart. Yeah. Um. Oh, goodness gracious. So Sandy started working full time for the jewelry part of the business. Mm-hmm. Um. And around that time, the war with the Black Lords was just beginning, and Sandy helped so much. Um, oh, uh, Sandy. Sandy was named the secretary and treasurer, and all income flowed directly into Terry's personal bank account accounts. Oh, Lord. And, of course, her poor daughter became alienated and isolated from her mother, Um and found all the other members who came to the house super weird. Yeah. She she was not a participant of this. She was knocked down um and she was even embarrassed when her f- to have friends over, which sucks. Oh. And of course that made their relationship much more strained. Um which of course made things worse because a black overlord must be the cause of all of our familial problems. Oh, yeah. So, oh my goodness, here we go. So in August of 1978, just as their membership had begun to dwindle, Sandy wrote a will that would leave everything to Terry. And four days later, Devereaux, now age 13, also wrote her own will. That's weird. Yeah. Leaving everything to Terry. Oh, no. Which included her $125,000 trust fund. Oh, no. So the 13-year-old who isn't down just suddenly decided to give this woman all of her money. Does it smell fishy to you? Because I, I, I think it smells fishy. I don't like that so, at um, all. I hate yeah, every it's bit bad. of that. It's really bad. So in February of 1979, Sandy sat down on the bed with... So this, by the way, is the difference between cults and religion, is that it all goes into the person's personal bank account, and mm-hmm. people are asking for all of your shit. Yeah. It's not a. It's not an option. They want it all. Ugh. And they want control of your whole life. Yeah. So in February night... And, and cults tend to operate inwardly, whereas, um, like you know, how she's, like, inner-circling and isolating people. Yeah. Religions tend to operate outwardly and, like, do outreach and help communities and things like that. Yeah. So, um, in February 1979, Sandy sat down on the bed with Devereaux and asked her if she would like to join her on a, ri- on a trip to Hawaii with one of her conscious development friends. Devereaux, of course, was thrilled that her mother had included her in something and jumped at the opportunity to ho- to uh, go on vacation and to socialize with her mom. So that's super sad. Oh. On the 25th of February, she took a raft out to sea with her mother when a wave struck the pair, knocking them overboard. Sandy was rescued, but Devereaux could not be found for over three hours, and eventually rescuers found her body. She had drowned. Her mom pushed her off the fucking raft. Is what happened. Sandy. 
Don't tell me that a wave hit you. No. In the sea. And that your th- your daughter can't fucking swim. Yeah. No. Nope. Autopsy reports showed no sign of foul play and no traces of drug and alcohol. Of course. Because if you just push someone off, what would be the sign of foul play? Yep. <laughs> Terry informed Chuck of his daughter's tragic and untimely death, and he rushed off to Hawaii immediately. When he reached the hospital that Sandy was staying in, he found Terry already there. Oh, of course. Curiously, whilst he was gone, one of Terry's followers called in at Chuck's house and left Devereaux's will with a family friend. Super weird. The will read, quote, I give, devise, and bequeath all of my property, including all rights, titles and interests of whatever character I may own in and to any property real or personal or mixed, whatever situated to Terry Johnson, who has become to me, who has been to me like a second mother. No, she wasn't. No, a 13 year old totally wrote that. So this is the worst one. And that's why I'm going to skip the other people because um, it's all the same. She did this over and over and over and over, and nobody fucking questioned it. Nobody. Please tell me someone killed her. Please tell me that's how this ended. Uh, no, she goes to trial. I'm pretty sure she went to prison. So, um, <clears throat> let's see. So, do, 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 I lost my place. Sorry. Uh, she also included, of course, the clause that it was not to be contested in any way. Of course. I don't think that that's just like magic words. No. <laughs> the, don't don't question it at all. Don't don't talk about it. Um, <laughs> don't look into this. It's the equivalent of taking off all your clothes and saying, "Don't look." Yeah. Um. <laughs> so. Um, Terry claimed to know nothing of the will's existence. Of course. However, it was signed and witnessed by three conscious development teachers. And as it turned out, the document was not legal Mm -hmm. because she was only 14. Yep. Bam. Good try, Terry. Mm -hmm. In 1979, Terry's own son, Kenneth, while working construction, fell through a hole in a roof 30 feet to his death. And two months later... Sandy took out a life insurance policy for three hundred grand, and at the end of 1979, legally signed over all her property to Terry, oh, including her $180,000 house, which she now paid Terry to rent to live in. She signed her house over to Terry and then paid Terry rent so she could live in her own house. Jesus Christ. Sandy. Get Poor it together. Sandy. Sandy... Sandy went deep, y'all. <clears throat> and of course, after the death of her daughter, Sandy became super depressed and of course drew closer to Terry, as well as her 78-year-old housekeeper, which is random. But meanwhile, yeah. Terry was busy divorcing her third husband and remarrying Don Hoffman, an engineer cuz she just goes through him like socks. Yeah. Um an engineer and member who and a member who had been married for 22 years before separating from his wife Alice who had signed a waiver allowing Terry and Don to marry immediately following the divorce what rather than the waiting fuck? the usual one day's grace period <laughs> these people were so deep y'all don promptly quit his job and devoted himself full-time to conscious development 
And in August of 1981, here we go. Sandy wrote a a 13-page letter to her brother that was something of an autobiography and expounded the virtues of Terry. In September of the same year, she left for Colorado to visit a patch of land that Conscious Development had bought with a vision to build a retreat for members. That's all this needs is a commune. Yeah. After a little cajoling... On Sandy's part, she took she took Louise Watson into a into accompanying wait talked oh wait sorry I completely lost the thread here okay <laughs> so after a little cajoling on Sandy's part she talked Louise Watson into accompanying her despite Louise not wanting to take the trip as she had been feeling unwell I think this is the housekeeper I'm not sure um, the neighbors thought it was really weird that she had not asked. Asked them to look after the cats like she usually did. Mm-hmm. They left for their road trip in Sandy's car on September 8th, and then two days later, on September 10th, an Air Force Academy paramedic helicopter, while on a routine flight, spotted Sandy's car lying at the bottom of a 450 foot cliff. Oh no. Killed them both. The road was perilous, so police found little to be suspicious of, however, it was noted that there were no skid marks on the road, suggesting that Sandy had not tried to break or veer away from the edge of the cliff. Oh, Instead, no. it seemed like she had driven straight off on her own accord. Great. Terry arrived on the scene two days later, ever present in such situations that were now becoming commonplace to collect bodies and cash and cash in on the wills of both parties. Louise had had earlier written a will, leaving everything to Sandy, which now transferred straight to Terry. Weird. Of course. So Sandy's brother was not having it. Yeah. Not having it. So on (laughs) November 10th, his attorney filed papers on his behalf contesting the will, stating that the will was executed as a result of undue influence exerted over the deceased. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, it went on to say that um, Sandy was controlled by Terry's use of hypnosis, Pavlovian conditioning, and psychotherapy. Agreed. Mm-hmm. And Sandy Beaton Cleaver's will was but one of several persons whose wills were charged, uh, were changed pursuant to the direct influence, suggestion, and psychological control of Terry Hoffman. Yep. Of course, Terry's attorney opposed this last line of investigation and won a motion won a motion to prevent anyone talking of any of the other deaths during the trial. How does that work? <laughs> Maybe they were However, just so done. They were just like, let's just focus I, on this one. Like... Uh, However, Terry clearly felt her chances were perhaps not looking so good, especially after the publication of an article in a local Dallas magazine that detailed Terry's involvement with conscious development. Fearing that the newfound local fame would not sit well with the jury, she settled with with um his her her brother's name was Croom. <laughs> Croom Beatty. I love him. Terry agreed to pay 50 grand to Croom so they settled out of court. Followed by a second ca- fifty grand to Croom immediately. Followed by a second cash payment of sixty-two five, so sixty-two thousand and five hundred. 
Sandy's house would be sold with the split 40% to Beattie and 60% to Terry, and the remainder of Sandy's estate, valued at $332,000, would be split equally. Uh, feel like Terry got a good end of the stick there, so, yeah. uh, whatever. Um, after the trial, Terry claimed to be taking San- Sandy's death particularly hard. Claimed, being the, the main <laughs> yeah. keyword there. Along with the spotlight from Dallas Magazine, she stopped all her meditation classes, instead taking small private me- private massage and spiritual classes in her home. That's weird. Mm-hmm. Along with her husband, Don, they embarked on revising much of their literary material, which had not been updated since the group's inception, and had little talk of Terry's new abilities of being able to read people's auras, which she now offered as a service directly from her home. <laughs> oh, Lord. She also entered into a short-lived real estate investment and, by the mid-80s, was running a perfumery named Perfume Oils International, despite its apparent enforced downsizing Boy. of conscious development. Terry had, yeah, Terry had s- still had much work to do in both the spiritual and physical realm. As she said previously, her masters do not visit her always, and not always when she wanted them. <sighs> All right. So there's a bunch of other people that she does the same thing to, but Sandy was like the worst one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to really get into that. Yeah. Um, but we're going to skip ahead now. There's a lot more people. Um, I'll just go ahead and name their names because um, we just don't have time. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but Robin Ottstadt was one. She was a 42-year-old member. Um, she signed over. Let's see. She 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 died. Weirdly, she shot herself in the head and her suicide note letter said, I'm apologizing to Terry 3,000 times a week on all levels. Oh. I love her dearly and beg her forgiveness, blah, 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 blah. For what? Um, yeah, it's so sad. I don't know. But she left everything to Terry, of course. Mary Levinson. Um, Mary, again died very suspiciously let's see yeah she died by suicide um and signed everything over to terry charitable institutions 100 125 grand from her divorce settlement all that kind of stuff um charles southern jr um let's see so charles he died how did he die he was all about some Africa stuff. Hang on. And he had he was a drug. I think he was a drug user. Oh. Not sure. Sorry. I'm trying to like really <laughs> skim through here. It's okay. Um so uh so when they failed to hear from him for 2 weeks after the date he was scheduled to return from India, his parents drove to Cincinnati sh- from Cincinnati to Chicago to visit him and after breaking into his house, their worst fears were confirmed, of course. Charles was nowhere to be seen, but folded inside out atop an African ceremonial stool where his were his dress hat and coat, a Nigerian tri- a Nigerian tribal symbol for death. Oh. They also found his passport with no stamps from Indian customs and a small vial of a drug. Um, I think it's it's called curare. I don't know. 
um, a drug used in anesthesia, causing total paralysis. Mm -hmm. And there were also poorly written documents scribbled on notepaper and barely legible. At the top of one was this line, I came under a bad influence and tried to battle it myself. Almost no other words on the page were legible except for the name Terry Hoffman. And in another scribbled document, they found that Charles had named Terry as executor of his estate. Oh, and he great. remains missing to this day. They've never found his body. Jesus um, Christ. <clears throat> what? I hate this woman. Dawn! I hate her. Let's talk about Dawn, her husband. We are going to give Dawn some attention here. So okay. Dawn was dead. Dawn died in a Marriott hotel room. Um, he was found by a maid, um, September 1988, and Don, who had two children from his previous marriage with Alice, whom he divorced, remember, mm -hmm. so they could get divorced right away. So um, after his after their marriage ended, um, he had quit his job as an engineer. They worked together. We already talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, their eight years of marriage, um, which was not a bad run on Don's part, considering Terry's track record, was ended abruptly when Don took a lethal concoction of drugs including benadryl and ecstasy that's a cocktail oh. um on the bedside table was a tape recorder legal pad pen and a neat stack of benadryl capsules written on the first page of the legal pad he had written my car is in parking place number 136 rd hoffman he had also left th a three-page suicide note that claimed he had been that he had an inoperable cancer and that he would rather end his life than suffer chemotherapy fair dude mm -hmm. um you do you the autopsy report discovered that the drugs in his system that had killed him along with a curious revelation he didn't what have do you cancer. think that revelation was yep he didn't have cancer <laughs> wonder who told him he had cancer <laughs> that's so weird so prior to leaving the home for the hotel Don had recorded three video messages for his family. In them, he told them he, about his fatal cancer and how his doctor's names were to remain a secret and that he had burned all of his medical records. Though, for th what reason, that was not explained. <laughs> um, he assured them not to grieve long for him and that death is just transition from one life to another life. Uh, he also told them, y'all help Terry as much as you can. Her kind, her heart's kind of weak and any undue stress or pressure, pressure on her right now would be really bad. I'm going to go kill myself. <laughs> Don's children weren't buying it and were deeply suspicious. Yeah. So they called Terry and secretly taped the conversation. Good. Ready? Yeah, I'm ready. So Terry informed them, Terry informed them that at the time of his death, she had no idea about Don's cancer, nor who the doctors were that apparently diagnosed him, though she had spoken to him in his next life, and he was now free from pain. She went on to say, the whole thing is really crazy. I don't understand it yet. I need, I think I need to talk to him some more. His ghost. Mm-hmm. Because he did. Um, when asked about why there was no disease found during the autopsy, Terry explained that she had recently spoken to Kaltu, another one of her spiritual masters, and Kaltu had told her that what Don had was definitely cancer. He said the Black Lords were trying to create an illusion so that the medical examiner wouldn't find any cancer, so they would hurt us all more. She then offered them some land in Colorado <laughs> oh my and told God. them that Don had told her 
and told them that Don had told her from beyond the grave that he didn't want any conflict within the family. Convenient. Mm-hmm. On April 19th, 1989, Terry fi- filed Don's will, which, of course, left everything to Terry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also have David and Glenda Goodman. Um, I think they both died. Um, yes. They killed themselves as well. They left everything to Terry. She went to trial again. Oh my goodness. She went to prison. It's just... Ugh. Goodness gracious. Let's see where she... Hang on. Let me see where... Okay. So. um, March 3rd, 1989. So Dawn's... Don's kids filed a case against Cla- against Terry. Mm-hmm. Thank God, uh, they claim that we're almost done, you guys. Uh, claiming that she had intro- that she had induced Don to kill himself, and seven weeks later contested the will. Their attorney was James Bar- Barclow, the same man who contested Sandy's will. And during his investigations into Terry, he found a note in her trash. The note read, "Here is your bulk order plus the samples." Number one is a new formula that is a bit more complicated to make and will cost 35 cents more per capsule. It should have been, it should have more amphetamines and a balancer to neutralize bad effects. Great. Number two is the base E formula without the last step performed in purification to remove all amphetamines. Not good. She's making drugs to give to people. Nope. She thinks she's a pharmacist now. She's poisoning people. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Barclow believed that these drugs had been had been the tablets that several followers were taking. So, other people were taking this stuff, too. Remember I said she was making vitamins, quote-unquote vitamins? Yeah. So, she's experimenting on people is what she's doing now. Of course. Um, and calling it purification. So, um... Barclow believes these drugs have been the tablets that several followers were taking, suggested by Terry as quote-unquote vitamins, and were the capsules found in many of the scenes after the suicides. So, on October 22, 1991, Terry filed for bankruptcy protection, claiming that the publicity had derailed her business. However, failed to mention several bank accounts that she operated, along with artwork and property, but for the Hoffmans, things were not going well. She, quote, we had a number of offenses we tried to assemble, but bankruptcy fraud is all that's happened so far, and that's not even connected to anything except the property she got. My God. So that's what they got her on was bankruptcy fraud. The prosecutor, I don't think they ever got her for murder. So the prosecutors shared their files with the FBI involved with her bankruptcy claims. However, they were told in no uncertain terms that they didn't want to get involved with aspects outside of the direct case of Terry Hoffman's financial problems. Of course, we did not want to get into the hocus pocus, (laughs) is what they said. Yeah. Literally, that's what they said. That's a quote. That's hilarious. So, um... In the end, nothing came of 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 the Hoffman's case against Terry. The prosecutor stated... Quote, it just doesn't translate into a grand jury proceeding. It's been an interesting endeavor, but I could, I just could never quite get there. Um, on, it's because it's overwhelming. I mean, listen to all this shit. Yeah. 
On November 23, 1994, Terry Hoffman was convicted on 10 counts of bankruptcy fraud and sentenced to 16 months in prison, where she served less than one year. Of course. Released in May 1995. Well, she wasn't there for murder, so she was probably really well behaved. Okay, so after prison, Terry appeared to go dark. And there is scant record of her activity for the next six years until she remarried for the fifth and final time. <sighs> I just don't think I could get five people to marry me. <laughs> How does this bitch have five husbands and I she can't even get a, one? <laughs> she has a magic vagina, apparently. And her eyes, it's those eyes. She sucks you into her weird world. I don't know, dude. I don't think you want this kind of magnetism. <laughs> no. But I would like she's one. She's also marrying people. She's also, if you recall, she's marrying people that are under her control, yeah. too. So that's not great. So she's a predator. Yeah. But I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so um, the fifth and final time, this was in 2002, to Roger Keenly and named and changed her name to Terry. I guess she renamed, she changed her middle name to Terry Lilia Keenly. And she renamed. She remained married to to Roger until her death in 2015. So she did, wow. y'all. You don't have to worry. Um, her website, which is still available for viewing at heavenandearthphotography.com, which you know tells you exactly what it is. Yeah. <laughs> Why would you call it Heaven and Earth Photography? <laughs> Uh, explains how she developed a new form of photographic art her photos are of clouds (laughs) i'm looking it up right now Uh, this site can't be reached apparently oh my god oh i guess they took it down that's funny (laughs) uh which she she her photos are of clouds which she sold on her website until her death she sold pictures of clouds. Just go outside and take your own damn picture of a cloud. They're everywhere. <laughs> In Terry's words, however, they were not merely clouds. <laughs> but, quote unquote, quote, various spiritual beings that have revealed themselves to her. <laughs> Jesus Christ. She can't stop. She can't stop. Never one to shy away from how special she was. She lists no less than five areas of expertise from floral design to seminar leader. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Among her long lists of honors, awards, and publications, she listed all of her conscious development literature as a, quote, multi-volume study course. While her biography was apparently included in the dedication sections of Great Minds of the 21st Century and Hall of Fame of Great Women of the 21st Century, two publications for which there are no references. (laughs) Of course. Oh, she's so out of her gourd. The site talks openly about Terry's fantastic spiritual powers that she has had throughout her life. However... Unsurprisingly, there is not one single mention by the name of conscious development. By name of conscious development. Though she appears to have offered low-key classes along the same lines up until her death. The final line of a Dallas obituary read, quote, She gave us the opportunity to experience many different vibratory frequencies so that the next time we are exposed to a being 
situation, or an energy, we can now attune to it and recognize it or them because she presented those new vibratory frequencies to us. That has truly been a gift from God. Unquote. Oh my God. (laughs) No, it wasn't. Here's another. Oh God. (coughs) Sorry, guys. It's been a, this is a long winded quote. So our leader has left us on the psycho astral, but nevertheless still exists on all the other levels. Thank you for all your love, tutelage and care until we meet again. (laughs) How you feel? I hate this. Like she's the worst. (laughs) She's the fucking Oh, worst. but it's the best. But it's the best. Oh, only an hour 20. We're not that's not bad. Oh man. Oh. Yeah. I could have easily spent a good 3 hours on that case. We skipped over a lot of stuff where she was where she started making the vitamins and of course like that's where everyone was like, "Oh, my mind's expanding because there's amphetamines in them." Yeah. And so then they got addicted. And then she kept it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, ugh, it's so, it's so crazy. But it's, it's so sad that the only thing they ever got her on was bankruptcy fraud. Oh, yeah. Because nobody wanted to, it, all her shit was so weird that nobody even wanted to unravel it. Yeah. And these poor people's families just had to be okay with it. It's just really sad. Yeah. Beware. And there's a whole other section that I didn't even get into of other creatures called Garbons that they were fighting and just oh lord it just it got it gets so crazy if you guys want to deep dive on it you can you there are plenty of podcasts that have done yeah deeper multi-episode deep dives on this woman um but yeah yeah that's one of my favorite ones i think the other one is the uh the crazy guy oh i can't think what it's called heaven oh it's an alien one. Yeah. Heaven's Gate. Do you know what I'm talking about? Heaven's Gate. Yes, yeah. Heaven's Gate. Mm-hmm. Heaven's Gate is the other one that's really crazy. Well, I've got some fun With ones. Bo and Peep or whatever. Yeah. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Woo. Maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> There's an entire podcast dedicated to that cult, actually, you guys. So oh, wow. Y'all can. Yeah. Woo. Uh, there's also a great MFM episode on that one, too. But um, anyway, so uh, shall we take a break? Yes, I need one. <laughs> that was yes, a lot. Yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, goodness. All right, so we're back. We are. Hey. I've now expelled all the bad vibes from my body in the form of urinating and coughing into the sink. <laughs> great it must be the dark lords it's because i've mocked the dark lords yes how dare you oh man i thought it was fun (laughs) it was it was a very good case it it was a ride man yeah so i've got a couple of shallow dives um one is a little shallower than the other (laughs) Um, okay both of these were inspired by videos that I was listening to on YouTube by Lazy Masquerade, and I am going to okay. link you guys to both of them. Um, but this first one is of the cult Om Shinrikyo. Ooh, I've never heard of it. Okay, so... Oh, I'm so excited! Yes, yes, it's so fascinating. Um, 
again, Lazy Masquerade's video on it is fantastic. Uh, it's like the part that talks about this is like seven minutes long and it's kind of a first-hand account, more like a second-hand, like this guy's sister was in this cult and managed to escape. Um, and so... Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's a very close uh, story, but um, I didn't want to find a first-hand, a first-hand account of that just because... I didn't want it to be too similar, you know? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, so, that's fair. <clears throat> so this was published. This is just a short article on it. Uh, it was published on July 6, 2018. This is the day. Um, well, I'm not going to tell you that just yet. Uh, it's on the BBCnews.com. <laughs> okay. Keep the mystery alive. Yeah. So Om Shinrikyo, the Japanese cult behind the Tokyo Sarin attack. And oh, it's Japanese. Yes. <laughs> oh, Carrie, this this man is crazy. Um, Things go dark in Japan, y'all. Oh, yeah. Woo! Oh, man. <laughs> so, Tokyo, March 20th, 1995, morning rush hour. Millions of commuters step out into a bright spring morning and onto one of the world's busiest underground systems. Also on board the trains, five bags filled with liquid nerve agent left by members of a doomsday <gasps> cult. What? Uh-huh. Nerve agent? Mm-hmm. Ah! The packages were leaking. Passengers felt stinging fumes hitting their eyes. Oh, no. The toxin struck victims down in a matter of seconds, leaving them choking and vomiting, some blinded and paralyzed. 13 people died, and at least 5,800 were injured in five coordinated attacks on three train lines. Oh, my God. This was the largest domestic... this is like a terrorist. Yeah. Like a terrorist group. mm -hmm, This was the largest domestic attack in Japan by that period of time. Oh, my gosh, that's so terrible. Yeah, and um, this cult was called the Religion of the Elite, for a very long time, everybody Ew. in it was arrested, um, and every one of them had to be evaluated to make sure that they weren't going to be a threat. It was crazy. Oh. So it's kind of like the Nazis a little bit. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> wow, the cause was sarin, a nerve agent developed by the Nazis. Oh, look at that. <laughs> it was the worst domestic terror attack ever carried out on Japanese soil. The culprits were Om Shinrikyo, an obscure religious group who believed the end of the world was coming. After years on death row, the cult's leader, Shoko Ashihara, was put to death on July 6th, along with several of his followers. Um, wow. Yeah. And it's, like, still considered a terrorist group there. Um, well, yeah, it definitely sounds like it was, because yeah. attacking public transit and just you know killing people on mass like that that aren't a part of your group that's mm-hmm. terrorism for sure yeah and in the video that lazy masquerade did um the person whose sister was in the cult uh she joined it when it was just a meditation group it's always a meditation group yep always beware of those meditation groups y'all yeah and um Keep it about yoga. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And if you tried to leave this cult, 
um, the Shoko Ashihara guy, he would put you on a blacklist and would send people out to kill you or your family members. Um, Holy shit. So that you would stop sinning and you would have less of a reason to go to hell. Whoa. Yeah. It was crazy. Uh, so where <laughs> where did the cult come from? Um, she- you thought Terry was crazy. Yeah. This guy's crazy. Yeah. Oh, he is. <laughs> and, oh, he's, he's Terry creepy Terry was just a shitty too. person. Yeah. This guy's insane. Um, Om Shinrikyo, whose name means Supreme Truth, began in the 1980s as a spiritual group mixing Hindu and Buddhist beliefs, later working in elements of apocalyptic Christian prophecies. The group's founder, Shoko Ashihara, declared himself to be both Christ and the first enlightened one since Buddha. Whoa, that's a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> the group, whose name is often shortened to just Alm, gained official status as a religious organization in Japan in 1989. Asahara picked up a sizable global following, speaking at universities and writing books. At its peak, Alm had tens of thousands of members worldwide. Former cult members have testified that they paid handsomely for rituals involving Asahara's hair and bathwater, despite the group urging followers to reject materialism. One described paying more than $8,100 in 1988 for a blood initiation, where he drank what was said to be the leader's blood. Ew! Mm-hmm. Many- Ew! <laughs> Many of Asahara's followers in Japan were students at elite universities. I just understood why they would do a blood initiation. Because you drink the blood of Christ when you mm-hmm. perform the when you perform And he communion. thinks he's Jesus. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, it makes sense. Except the red flag there is that Jesus never preached violence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... <laughs> um... But like never, never a word of violence or hate. Yeah. But at first, it wasn't violent. It, it slowly, well, of course not. Yeah, yeah, it slowly became. It was a meditation group, yeah. and then we drank each other's blood. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, many of Asahara's <clears throat> followers in Japan were students at elite universities. They were young people from academically pressured backgrounds who had similarly pressured careers ahead of them. And the cult promised them a more meaningful life. Yeah, the... Uh, the pressure on <laughs> students in uh, Japan and China is really bad, I've heard. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, Om gradually became a paranoid doomsday cult, convinced the world was about to collapse into World War Three, and only its members would survive. Um, oh, and it, what? Yeah, and they blamed um, the leader was saying that it was going to be America's fault. Um, well, it will be. Yes, <laughs> um, but he <laughs> he said. But why would they be the only survivors? <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, it's not in here. But he said something about like it would be America's fault. Um, I guess because they were godless and. It was it was really bad. Um, yes, <laughs> which is true, <laughs> but like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, not all Americans, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> Our government, yes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> but it became... Especially in, right now. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. It became increasingly violent. Kidnapping, injuring, and killing opponents. And even using chemical and biological agents in other attacks. So, what happened after the attack? <laughs> in the months after the March 1995 attack, the group made several failed attempts to release hydrogen cyanide in various stations. The subway atrocity shocked Japan, a country that prides itself on low crime rates and social cohesion. It also raised questions about police failings to investigate in previous allegations of criminal activity by the group. Uh, Japanese Japanese novelist Haruki Murakami wrote a nonfiction book about the incident titled Underground, the Tokyo Gas Attack, and the Japanese Psyche, and interviewed 60 victims, or survivors. Um, Yeah, I was going to say, so, like, it only killed 13 people, but, like, how many other people had some sort of injury or, God forbid, lifelong complication from a fucking neurotoxin? Yeah, at least 5,800 Oh my god. Um Scores of all members That's so many people. Oh my god. That's so sad. Yep. It's just trying to get to fucking work and then these crazies. Oh no. That's so sad. Mhm. That's awful. Yeah, it's wow. the fucking worst. Um <clears throat> scores of all members have faced trial over the attack. Leave Leave people alone. <laughs> <laughs> Continue to focus inward, please. <laughs> yes. Stop that. <laughs> and 13 were sentenced to death, including Asahara. The last to be tried in connection with the subway attack was Ket- Ketsuke Takahashi, arrested in June 2012 after being on the run for 17 years. He was sentenced to life in Whoa. jail. Mm-hmm. Wow. Cult member Maka... Makoto Hirata was also jailed in 2014 for the abduction of a 68-year-old man and his involvement in two bomb attacks. He kidnapped an old man? Mm Mm-hmm. Why? It was probably um, a previous member's family member or something. Because they were pretty famous for that. I was going to say, just like shits and giggles, I'm just going (laughs) to... Go kidnap this dude? <laughs> <laughs> no. He, oh, it was yeah. No, that makes sense. To get back at sense. anyone who left. Yeah. Um, and, like, in the story, the girl who was in the cult, she didn't even contact her family members for a very long time until she was sure she was safe to make from sure. him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awful. And they, they had no idea where she was. They were afraid <laughs> that she um, was dead because she was on his hit list. Mm-hmm. Um, so is the cult still active? The group went underground after the Tokyo attack, but did not disappear, eventually renaming itself Aleph. Another small- See, they never do disappear. There's even still a little tiny sect of Heaven's Gate still around, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Like, they don't ever fully disappear, but they get tiny. Yeah. And weird. (laughs) (laughs) Um, another smaller group- Hikari Noa, or Circle of Rainbow Light, headed by Alm's former spokesman and Asahara successor Fumihiro Joyu, was formed in 2007. Joyu claimed to have distanced his group from the worship of Asahara. Alm Shinrikyo is designated as a terrorist organization in the U.S. and many other countries, but Aleph and 
Hikari no wa are both legal in Japan, albeit designated as dangerous religions subject to heightened surveillance, which is good. Ooh. Which I... That's interesting. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. But I... Me neither. I'm thinking they should probably designate more of them that way. Yeah. Yeah. To avoid things like this. Yeah. Um... Some estimates say they have 1,500 followers between them, with reports the numbers slowly growing. So, did Alm operate outside Japan? The group operated in former Soviet states after the collapse of the USSR. In March, 20- really? mm-hmm. huh. in March 2016, Montenegro expelled 58 foreigners suspected of association with Alm Shinrikyo. They were gathered at a hotel they had rented in the former Yugoslav region. Four were from Japan, the Interior Ministry said, but 43 were from Russia, seven from Belarus, three from Ukraine, and one from Uzbekistan. Oh, wow. Russian raids in April 2016 targeted 25 properties. The group is illegal in Russia, but prosecutors said at the time it may have up to 30,000 Russian followers. What? Mm Mm-hmm. That's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. A few human rights advocates in Japan have defended Alm cultists who have not been found guilty of crimes, saying they were unaware of plans to attack the Tokyo subway, which they probably were. Fair. Um, That's fair. Yeah. But members have little prospect of social or official acceptance, despite attempts to distance themselves from the events of more than two decades ago. Wow. Yeah. So that is the story of Alm Shinrikyo. Woo! <laughs> Which is Man. a doozy. I know it was kind of short, but That's, it was... Yeah, but wow. I was like, way to undo all the fun we were having. <laughs> <laughs> but I thought it was fascinating, and I just wanted... I needed to share it. But he's he's been put to death, so... <clears throat> well, he did, but there's 30,000 Russians who disagree. Yeah. Ooh. Yep. That's scary. Yep. Wow, that was a good one, though. <laughs> Thank you. Damn. Way to, way to break it real dark. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm about to make it darker. Oh my god. <laughs> um, we should have swapped. We should have swapped order. <laughs> <laughs> but, oh, uh, well, I have kind of a happy story to go with this. Okay. So, I have two articles for this, and I've also got the Wikipedia page of the founder of this cult pulled up, just because I want to tell you guys a little bit about him as well. Um, Okay. But this first one is from Gawker.com, and it was written by Ashley Feenberg. This was published um, May 26, 2015. So, are you familiar with the Duggar family? The who? The Duggar family. The 19 Kids and the Counting? The family. Yes. Okay. So this is the story of the creepy fundamentalist homeschool cult that trained the Duggars, or <gasps> ATI. What? We are talking about the family that had their reality show, right? Yep. Isn't it like, um, isn't, aren't they mixed race? Aren't they, like, isn't the, the wife white and the dad's Asian? I don't, is that who I'm thinking of? Or is no, that John and Kate plus eight? That's John and Kate that's plus eight. That's John and Kate plus eight. My bad. I do know who the Duggars are, though. I do yeah. know what you're talking about. Okay. Good. <laughs> that's the other one. Yeah. I got it. Mm-hmm. 
I had to make sure. (laughs) (laughs) So this is ATI or Advanced Training Institute. And um, I'll tell you, I'll give you guys a little bit of background. And then I have a story from someone who escaped. Wow. And a homeschool cult. Yes. Who would have thought? (laughs) And um, this inspiration came from another one of Lazy Masquerade's YouTube videos. It's the first story in the video that I'm going to link. Um, and the girl in that story talks about how she was sent away and, like, brainwashed and, like, broken. Horrifically broken. And, like, she lost 40 pounds in the first month that she was there. Like, her mother signed her over to these people. And her father raped her her entire life. Oh! And... My God! Yeah. Yeah. Um, and... She's, like, the only reason anyone knows anything is because the founder, Bill Gothard, has been accused of sexual assault um, so often. But, like, these log cabin schools are still being run, and it is a torture chamber. So... Oh, my God, that's so upsetting. Yeah. So, uh, if you know someone that's being homeschooled under this, um, do your best to support them. And get them out of there, if you can. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Because this is horrific. So let's go. <clears throat> um, All right. So you know about the Duggars, the, the evangelical Christian family whose 19 children catapulted them to fame through Discovery Health Specials and TLC show 19 Kids and Counting. And you know about Josh Duggar, the eldest son, who admitted last week to molesting several underage girls as a teen, including his own sisters. Oh, my God. And, like... Wait, when was this? 2015. Ugh. And so, for ATI, there's this umbrella... um, umbrella diagram and it's also like in this article but first it's christ then your husband then the wife and then the children and children are given like no rights but male children have more rights than female children so of course they do uh so it's not uncommon for like older brothers to be molesting the younger sisters oh my god that's so terrible yeah uh (laughs) still happening by the way, it's 2020. This is really bad. Yeah, this is awful, and they need help. So, uh, like any anyone that's in this needs help, seriously. So, if you know someone that's Clearly. in it, oh my god, report it. Report what you see. <laughs> like if you see something, report it. Um, if you see something, say something. Yeah. So. You've seen some examinations of the dangerous backwards logic that helped fuel that uh, systematic and highly preventable sexual abuse and some explorations of the culture of authority and fear from, this is very flowery, um, promulgated by the Duggars' uniquely patriarchal brand of Christianity. But we've still just barely scratched the surface of the insane, terrifying homeschool cult that the Duggars and millions more across the country subscribe to. The bizarre horrors of the ATI, its founder Bill Gothard, and its many overpopular... Wow. Sorry. (laughs) This is awful. I'm sorry. 
Yeah, it is. Uh, And its many overpopulated families would take days to work through. Here's what we're dealing with. So, hold on. Taking a drink. So. Yeah, it sounds like we need it. (laughs) (laughs) So, what is ATI? ATI is a biblically-based homeschooling program that lets Christian families integrate their kids' daily, hours-long moral learnings with just a dash of secularism. Its various pillars include doing exactly what's expected instantly and cheerfully, not asking questions, strict adherence to patriarchal standards, and, of course, Shielding yourselves from any influence or human that might lead you off the beaten, sometimes literally, path. Oh, God. Um, and this is also something I'm concerned about with, um, a lot of schools being forced to open before it's time. Um, because a lot of people are pulling out their children to homeschool them, and I'm kind of afraid that more people are going to subscribe to this. So. Well, yeah. Hopefully homeschooling them in their houses. Yeah. Not sending them to other things. Well, a lot of people do it. it's not safe to go to school. Yeah. Well, a lot of people, like, can you can do this at home. But some of them do send them off to. Of course. The log cabin institutes, like I talked about. Sorry. Oh, man. Um, All right. So the home education program is just one of many bizarre offshoots of the Institute and Basic Life Principles, a group dedicated to giving clear instruction and training on how to find success by following God's principles found in Scripture. Or rather, they're dedicated, um, assuming you buy its, they're dedicated, assuming you buy its expansive black catalog, or pay to attend one of its seminars, education programs, camps, youth academies, training sessions, what have you. To be officially enrolled in ATI, husband, wife, and child all have two seminars to attend, the basic seminar and the advanced seminar. Here, kids get to interact in their gender-specific peer groups, freeing them from distractions as they go through military training, light, boys, Learn how to sew and sit quietly, girls, and otherwise practice. Oh my god! Mm-hmm, and otherwise practice hating who they are at their innermost sin-addled core. Everyone. Wow. The ATI program itself, though, is made up of a series of wisdom booklets and optional supplementary supplementary packets that theoretically could make up the entirety of any good righteous children's edu- education. Um. So, okay, the ATI curriculum starts by focusing on a specific passage of scripture. After each person has a basic understanding of the passage, the passage is explored through linguistics, history, law, science, and medicine. The primary objective in studying each subject is to discover deeper truths in the passage. Uh, I mean, sure. Mm Mm-hmm. There are also two secondary objectives. The first is to grow in wisdom, to comprehend the particular academic subject from God's perspective. The second is to understand the application of the subject to life. And that's from one of ATI's booklets. Um, Mm. 
<clears throat> so, though where some fundamentalists... How to sew and sit quietly is probably... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> so, though where some fundamentalist sects are content to leave their literal interpretations of scripture at the words on the page, ATI also follows the law of Bill Gothard, a man who, as far as the adherents of IBLP are concerned, might as well be God himself. So, who is Bill Gothard? As the single 80-year-old founder of IBLP, Bill Gothard is the center of any ATI devotee's universe. He is currently on indefinite administrative leave after it got out that at least 34 women had come forward with claims of sexual harassment, for which he has remained unincarcerated and unpunished. Um, Hmm, Of course he has. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. He, um, I've also got his Wikipedia page pulled up because of this. Um, he, okay. So in 2016, Gothard and IBLP were sued by a group of alleged victims who accused him of sexual harassment and assault. These are 100% survivors of sexual assault because he 100% did this. Um, Mm -hmm. The plaintiffs voluntarily dismissed their lawsuit in 2018, citing unique complexities with the statute of limitations, but said in a statement, we are not recanting our experiences or dismissing the incalculable damage that we believe Gothard has done. Um, But... Okay. So, he denied the allegations and admitted no wrongdoing, but announced his resignation. Um, So, like, he's he's gone, but he's still, like, the center of everything, because he was the creator. Yeah, because he was the founder. Yeah. So, So Gothard's biggest days are behind him. In the 70s and 80s, the evangelical masses would pour into auditoriums by the tens of thousands to hear him speak. This despite the fact that, in 1980, his brother Steve was charged with a major sex scandal, in addition to money laundering, and was ultimately forced on, to step down. <laughs> it runs in the family. He gets it honest. Um, oh, God. <laughs> Gothard supposedly knew about the illicit activity and turned a blind eye, which led him to resigning his head for a grand total of three weeks. Um, despite, or perhaps because of Gothard's strict gender hierarchy, he seems doomed to be an eternal philandering millionaire bachelor. IBLP is currently helping reconcile his sin, but his teachings remain fully endorsed. What does ATI believe? Put simply, goodness gracious, (laughs) whatever Bill Gothard tells them to believe. The lessons themselves consist of- that's how cults work. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) The lessons themselves consist of bizarre, forced attempts at inserting some type of traditional education into biblical passages, which is where you get questions such as, how did the quote-unquote Socratic method of reasoning come from a sodomite manner of living? How can... I don't like that word. Nope. How can graphs help to visualize the consequences of lust? And how do prime numbers illustrate the principle of one flesh in marriage? What? Mm-hmm. Those are real. Well, 
those are real questions that they've put in their homeschooling booklets. Oh, okay. Um, yep. Sure. <laughs> um, but the damage that this backwards counterintuitive system of educating children can inflict is clear. Now it's just a matter of exposing it at the root. So it is still widely practiced. Um, and it should not be. Because <laughs> they're no. horrible. <laughs> they're fucking horrible. Um, but that is the background on ATI. And <laughs> this is... Um, this next one is the story of someone who escaped. And this is okay. from theguardian.com. And it was published on June 1st, 2015. And it's under um, opinion and religion. My childhood in a cult is hard to imagine, but my survival is truly unbelievable. And this is by Jenna Tracy. The ATI cult and the quiverful movement defined my life until I was old enough to break away. Mm. Uh, and now it wants me to register. Hold on. Uh, okay. For the longest time, I didn't know how to explain to people how I grew up. Raised in Minnesota, my family went to a suburban evangelical church in the Assemblies of God denomination. Most people would consider it conservative, but it was more mainstream than where we ended up. My siblings and I wore shorts during the summer, listened to music, and watched Full House on TV. Oh, man, look out. <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> <laughs> My family's transition into the Advanced Training Institute, or ATI cult, the homeschool offshoot of Bill Gothard's Institute and in Basic Life Principles, now infamous because of its association with the Duggar family, was slow. The Institute teaches mm. a rigid hierarchy where God comes first, men come second, women are third, and children are at the very bottom. As with many people who join cults, my parents were drawn in by the teachings of a leader, Gothard, whose charisma and sense of moral certainty they ultimately found impossible to resist. In the third grade, my parents decided to start homeschooling and were introduced to the ATI curriculum by a family friend. It didn't seem so out of the mainstream at the beginning. When we first attended Gothard's seminars, for seminars, for instance, we were crowded into the St. Paul Civic Center with thousands of other families who didn't seem all that different from us. Before long, we were attending a relatively large church in Minneapolis founded on ATI principles, where most members considered it their duty to give birth to as many children as possible to strengthen God's kingdom, what would later become known as the Quiverful Movement. With only four kids, our family was one of the smallest in the church. Oh my goodness. Could you imagine that being considered no. small? <laughs> no. <laughs> nope. An emphasis on controlling every aspect of a woman's physical appearance was central to the ATI lifestyle, and conforming to Gothard's personal taste was an obsession shared by women and men. This meant wearing our hair, our biblical crowning glory, long, and keeping our curls touchably soft and loose. Gothard even made it known that he strongly disliked the wet look, women wearing too much gel in their hair, and I was even once pulled aside at an ATI training institute in Oklahoma and told to start wearing less product. Oh my god. Mm -hmm. 
At church, women were supposed to wear head coverings to show our submission, though the guidelines weren't strict. Some women would just put pin Kleenex to the top of their heads. Ankle-length skirts were required for women and girls at all times. In our family, one of the more liberal in our church, we were usually allowed to wear pants at home when we weren't around other ATI families and for activities like horseback riding. But jeans were strictly forbidden. We girls came to learn that policing our bodies, in addition to getting married and having babies, was our primary role in life. Even before puberty, oh my God. we were required to swim in oversized t-shirts and shorts that came past our knees, while boys wore regular bathing suits, and were taught- I'm sorry, what? Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, my God. And were taught by our wisdom books. When a man looks lustfully at a woman, a flood of impulses travels through the optic nerve to the back of the brain, causing testosterone to surge, violent crime to go up, and otherwise godly men to stumble. Violent crime to go up? Yep. That's because what we went with. Because women are too hot. Yep. I can't. <laughs> this is such bullshit. Yeah. Oh my god. So when, in the seventh grade, <laughs> I developed breasts and they grew to DDs, it felt like nothing worse could have happened. Yeah, of course it did, honey. Finding shirts baggy enough oh. to hide their size was a constant struggle, and it seemed like nothing I could find fully concealed the fact that they were attached to me. I remember begging my mom to take me to the mall, where I spent hours looking for bras that would minimize their size. My closest eighteen, oh, honey. Yeah. My closest ATI friend and I would frequently buy the same clothes when we went shopping together, in the way teenage girls do. But while my parents were frequently pulled aside by other members in our church to be told my clothing was causing men to lust after me, my less curvy friend never Ew, became a target I'm of church sorry. leadership like I did. What? Mm-hmm. So these gross-ass old men are lusting your after daughter, her. Your daughter's too hot. Yeah. And my husband can't keep it in his pants. Mm-hmm. Ew. Ew. Yep. This is the ser this is like a total manifestation of of uh sexist culture right here of men get to do whatever the fuck they want and women have to cover themselves in burlap sacks. Yep. So that they don't get fucking raped. Yeah. I, I can't. The obsession with keeping men's eyes off of women's breasts didn't end with trying to force me to hide mine. During an eight week long all female training program my sister was chastised by an older woman because a flower in the pattern fabric of a vest she was required to sew came too close to her breast. She got lucky though. Mm -hmm. She got lucky though. Unlike some other students, she didn't have to destroy it and start over. Destroy it and start over? Mm -hmm. Because Satan will come out of the flower. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Dating was out of the question. If a young man in the church saw a young woman he was interested in, we were taught that the man should go to his father first and ask them to pray and decide whether he felt the relationship was God's will. If he'd, I'm going to go throw up. Mm -hmm. If he decided it was, the man's father would then approach the woman's father and ask him to pray and decide if he felt it was God's will. If both fathers were in agreement, <sighs> mm -hmm. 
if this is so tiresome <laughs> if both fathers <laughs> oh were in agreement God. the children would then be allowed to embark on a closely supervised courtship intended to lead to marriage um the father of another girl sure yeah <laughs> the father of another girl in our church found a partner for her after becoming concerned that unmarried in her mid-20s found a partner for her mm-hmm. i'm sorry what yep uh after becoming concerned unmarried in her 20s is that what you said yeah oh my god you're such a spinster yeah Ugh. Uh, but he was concerned <laughs> that she was failing in her biblical mandate to have as many children as possible at well, but they can't look at you. Yeah. At so, <laughs> at their wedding, we were all handed a printed program that explained the couple's journey to marriage and the daughter's initial resistance to her father's choice. Clearly meant to inspire wow. the young woman in the room, it explained that she had, at first, no interest in marrying the man her father had chosen. But after she prayed and decided that their marriage was God's will, she'd agreed to the union. I'll never forget the palpable discomfort in the room when the couple was supposed to kiss at the altar. Quote, unquote, saving your first kiss for the day of your wedding is common in ATI. Oh, my God. And after a strained peck, the bride cringed, pulled back, and as her new husband continued to try to kiss her, pushed him away. No! Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's so funny. (laughs) (laughs) me too bitch no no i'm not down (laughs) no i still don't like you look at that (laughs) oh my god (laughs) continue sorry it's okay (laughs) women were women were under so cringy yeah (laughs) Okay. Um, Women were under enormous pressure to marry, but men, we were told, could get a special exception to stay single if it was God's will. Of course they can. Mm -hmm. That's still the way it works. (laughs) Yeah. In, like, normal society. (laughs) Yep. This is is the double standard, just, like, as a rule. Yeah. (laughs) Gothard himself liked to say that, as he explained to us at a weekend retreat I attended, to learn how to be a quote-unquote godly woman, God specifically set him apart for singleness, freeing him of the obligation to get married. In retrospect... And to fuck as many people as he wanted to, right? Yep. In retrospect, given the 34 women who've come forward saying they were sexually abused by Gothard, many of them as children, it's even more disturbing. Though we'd been raised... Yeah. Though we'd been raised to believe that college wasn't part of God's plan for women, I started researching colleges and searching for loans. I'm I'm sorry, what? Uh Uh-huh. Are we really that surprised? (laughs) I'm... I mean, what century is this? This is insane. Yep. Oh my goodness gracious. I can't. I can't even. I started researching colleges and searching for loans I could apply to in earnest around age 16. Our local public library was my salvation, since our family's computer had long since been outfitted with a special web blocker designed for ATI families that blotted out virtually all of the internet. 
But at the library, I could spend hours indulging my nascent interest in design by browsing fashion websites and looking through back issues of fashion magazines. I took advantage of every opportunity to learn more about the world outside of ATI, even trying to arrive early to orthodontist appointments whenever I could to sit in the waiting room and steal a few precious moments with the piles of teen magazines. Oh my gosh, honey. I became fixated on applying to design schools in New York, and though our ATI filter wouldn't allow me to apply to universities from home, I quickly learned that most websites through which I could apply for student loan applications were allowed. My parents might have prevented me from applying had I started two years earlier, but disillusioned by a sex scandal involving our church's pastor when I was 17, and worn down by years of me questioning my father's authority in the strict confines of ATI... (laughs) (laughs) I love this girl. Yeah, me too. (laughs) My parents agreed to let me go if I would pay for college myself. She is sitting there like, no, no, seriously, though, like, what? (laughs) Despite the fact... Like, hello, you guys. Yeah. This is not cool. (laughs) Yeah. And she didn't make this decision for them. They made this decision for her, so... Yeah. Baby boy, what are you doing? I'm going to clean your cage in a minute, I promise. Um. (laughs) Sorry, he's... Been rolling around his wicker ball and just looking at me. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Despite the fact that I was largely shooting in the dark when it came to filling out my applications, especially in the applications for financial aid, I found a design school that was willing to accept me. And when I finished homeschooling at age 18, I moved east to New York. At school. Talk about a culture shock. Yeah. Well, at school, I quickly shed my homeschool image and clothes, dyed my hair whenever I wanted, drank and went to clubs with a fake ID like everybody else. Uh, The transition might have seemed abrupt to an outside observer, but after years of secretly envisioning my life the way I wanted it to be outside of ATI, the experience was tremendously liberating. Yeah, I eventually, yeah. I eventually finished with my degree and moved back to Minnesota, but ra- but today I'm rarely in touch with anyone from ATI or my old church here. Today, a lot of my friends don't have any idea what I went through, and everyone in my family has since left the movement. Looking back, I realize I'm lucky, I'm lucky to have emerged relatively unscathed and to have a close relationship mm-hmm. with my parents and siblings that stayed intact even as we've all transitioned back to living more normal lives. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. I know my past is something many people can't relate to, and many struggle to understand even after it's explained to them. It's extreme. Out of the mainstream weirdness is something that makes it hard for most people to wrap their head around. And maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Oh, that was wonderful. So I ended it on a good note. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I'm glad that her parents were like, okay, this guy's like fucking everything that moves. Mm, Maybe not so. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe you shouldn't be listening to everything this guy says. Yeah. Because there's so many people. That's I mean, that's why they stay, especially if you bring your kids in. You have to, like, stick to it because you made this decision. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, so many parents make that call, and it's 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 hard. I mean, you're, you have to then admit that you were wrong. Yeah. And that's really hard for people in our country to do. So it's that's really awesome that they were able to... They were open-minded enough to be like, okay, so <laughs> they weren't fully brainwashed in. Yeah. 
but that's yeah, great that's the Good end work. thanks i thought those were interesting and just fascinating and i i can't believe mm-hmm. that they're both still operating <laughs> yeah me too um, that's awful yeah my goodness um all right well are you ready for a game i am all right so this is our game um called if you had to by drunk stoned or stupid and it's your turn to go first i believe yeah let me madame let me get this pulled up here okay <laughs> oh god <clears throat> all right ready so if you had to maintain eye contact <laughs> with your best friend whenever they have sex oh god <laughs> um <laughs> or oh no they're both terrible oh no more bathing oh god i'm gonna go with yours yeah it's it's hypothetical and you know what (laughs) fuck it (laughs) yeah (laughs) oh god i need to be able to bathe sorry guys yep me too (laughs) nope (laughs) nope nope Oh, man. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We know this was kind of a long one, so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. Um, I th- I had fun. Yeah. I loved it. I did, too. That was great. Very fascinating. So there's just so many. Like, oh, man. We might just throw one of these in every now and then. Yes. Just because, just to break up the monotony, because there's just so many, and they're all fascinating. So um, anyway, I hope you guys are all staying safe. Please keep wearing your masks um, and washing your hands. And remember, you are not a monster. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Thank you for listening to Talk Crooked. Music is by Gisla Niebach. Check out our website, talkcrooked.wixsite.com slash podcast for sources and visual aids, as well as resources to get involved. To keep up with our nonsense and stay up to date on all things crooked, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook at Talk Crooked. To keep the shots coming, access exclusive bonus content, get a free poster, and a shout-out on air, head on over to our Patreon. All links can be found on our website. You can listen to us basically anywhere you get your podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have interesting stories relating to our content, please send them to talkcrooked at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on the show. For business inquiries or sponsorships, please email us at carryandkbusiness at gmail.com. See you next time.